This is L.A. Court Report, covering Southern California's boys' high school basketball scene, going to games, running events, hosting Zoom conversations, and now, the podcast. This is the L.A. Court Report podcast. I'm Steve Wax with Brad Enright, and our guest today is Santa Clara assistant coach Scott Garson. Scott, thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's our pleasure. And Scott, it's the Final Four weekend, and you are someone with a wealth of experience in the Final Four. You went with UCLA in 2006, 2007, 2008. Why don't you just jump right in and talk to us about that experience? Well, it was a tremendous experience. Obviously, it's been pretty awesome watching the Bruins run this year as well. And, uh, you know, one of their assistant coaches, Darren Savino, is a friend of mine. So it's been great to see the Bruins back in the uh, upper echelon here of, of, of the college basketball world in late March, early April. And, uh, you know, obviously going to the Final Four in 06, 07, 08, uh, it was an incredible run. We obviously had great players. Uh, coach Howland did a tremendous job of getting – a, an incredibly talented group, not only to improve uh, throughout, you know, each season as we built that program, but then also to get them to play together and play unselfishly. You know, that, that, that is, you know, I think it's amazing how people don't realize at that level when you're getting, you know, professional, you know, NBA level players, it, you know, many times um, what it takes sometimes to get to, you know, to seven o'clock tip off on a Thursday night or get to Saturday. I mean, there's so much going on. There's so many people pulling at our guys. And uh, I just thought he was, uh, you know, a magician at making sure that uh, everybody was on the same page come that time in terms of what we needed to execute, what we needed to do. And obviously that run of three straight final fours uh, was certainly one of the, you know, one of the, you know, if I, one of the four or five pinnacles of, of my, uh, of my coaching career and, and getting that opportunity. There's many people that go through, you know, 40 years in this business and never, ever touch a final four. So obviously those are memories that I'll just never, ever forget. Are there some aspects as a participant that people on the outside have absolutely no idea what you actually have to deal with when you're at the final four? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, there's just, you know, there's, there's, there's always distractions during a season, but, Multiply that by about 50. The, the distraction level is insane. First of all, tickets. I mean, everybody wants tickets. I mean, the, Doug Erickson, who's still at UCLA, our, our director of operations, or whatever you want to call him, he, he administrative guy, he holds so many roles, but he must have been thrilled this year uh, dealing with the, uh, the COVID cloud and not having to deal with tickets so much for the Final Four because that is a disaster. Everybody you know wants a ticket. Um, and, you know, the players are getting hit up, the coaches are getting hit up. And so that right there is like a, a mess in itself. And then there's just all the, the, you know, there's, there's things you have to participate in. There's, you know, there's, so, so it throws off your routine, you know, you've got to go over to the, there's a, there's a final four banquet and there's, you know, there's obviously there's media obligations. There's obligations for public practices outside of your, you know, your actual preparation practices. And there's, so it, it, it kind of messes with your routine. And I think one of the things that's important as a coach is to not allow those things to bother you. And then they don't bother the players. I think that as a coach, whatever's going to bother you is going to bother the players. And, you know, if, if, if the temperature in the room is too cold and you start complaining about it, the players all of a sudden are too cold. You know, I, I mean, it's, it's interesting how that works. And, um, 
you know, the bottom line is it's the same for everyone. Everybody's dealing with the same distractions. And so um, it's part of the excitement. And I think you just have to embrace it when you're there. Um, fans start coming to town. I mean, we have like, like unbelievable security in the hotels, you know, like nobody can get to us, you know, and, and, and we can't go anywhere because otherwise, you know, there's just distractions and we got too much stuff to do and get done. Does that have almost a counter effect where you work so hard to sequester your team and they see, they feel the buzz, the palpable buzz in the city, but they can't be a part of it at all. Is it really easy to separate or do you think it's really hard when you're 20 years old to make that separation? You know, I, I think it's probably hard. I mean, like I said, it's, it's kind of the same for everyone, but I think you got to balance it a little bit. I think as a coach, you have to remember these experiences are so few and far between if ever that you have to let the kids enjoy it a little bit too, you know, whether it's getting out on the river rock in San Antonio for the, I mean, we were in the final fours in Indianapolis, Atlanta and San Antonio. And so, uh, you know, whatever that means in those different cities to at least get a taste of and be a part of that. Um, I think it's good. You just can't do too much of it because then, then it becomes not about the game that you're preparing for. And so I, I, there's definitely a balance there. I don't know what the right balance is, honestly. Um, but I, I think that, you know, there's no matter what you do, the kids are going to be feeling that buzz. I mean, it starts right from the time that you leave Pauley Pavilion on the bus to go to the airport. And there's a police uh, escort that is literally stopping the 405 freeway to get you to LAX. It's like, holy cow. What, I mean, are you kidding me? You only see that happen for like when the president's in town. Like, that's incredible. And then, you know, you land in one of those cities. I'll never forget the difference between in Indianapolis and San Antonio. We had these, I mean, the police love doing the police escorts. They're great. And so we had these police escorts. But in Atlanta, which was the most difficult city to probably navigate, we had two guys on motorcycle, two motorcycle cops. And, the, and we're like, two motorcycle cops, like, you know, there's no way we're going to navigate this with these two guys. I mean, usually we have like, you know, four or five police cars and they're stopping traffic. Two of them are stopping traffic. The other two are getting ahead. One guy's staying behind. These two guys were the most amazing motorcycle drivers you've ever seen. They literally stopped all traffic on every street, everywhere in Atlanta and got our, our bus never stopped just right to our practices, right to our banquets, right to whatever it was we had to be a part of. It was amazing. So, you know, you're going to feel the buzz as a player when you're, when, when you're being escorted around like a celebrity like that. Now, you said the headaches get multiplied by 50. We've all had things like laundry fiascos when we're on a road trip or a kid needs some type of medication from a drugstore and you want to kind of go pick it up for him without making it real obvious. How intense do those problems magnify what you're dealing with at the final four? You know, the, the, the good news and the bad news is the good news is it, it, they're both the same. There's a lot of people that want to be involved. So all of a sudden there's people in your administration that never are a part of your road trip, that are never a part of your um, normal travel party or anything, never even involved with basketball as far as you know, except for administratively back at home, that are all of a sudden there and wanting to do stuff and taking ownership and things. The bad part is you like, you know, who do I <laughs> like? There's almost sometimes too many hands in it, but the good part is there's always people to go do stuff. So, you know, if a kid needs a little medication, the trainer needs something, there's no problem asking somebody to go get it and they're going to go get it. It may just take a little bit longer because, you know, wherever you're located or whatever, but usually those type of things are able to happen pretty quickly. I mean, in terms of laundry, I mean, the NCAA has 
stuff set up for you too to get all your practice gear and everything like you know the, the, the and and you know you have all your managers and so as a coach you really don't feel that too much um they we, they do a great job i mean like ucla did a hell of a job a guy named mike dowling who was the assistant uh athletic associate athletic director there for years he's recently retired but like he is a pro at this stuff and like he did an incredible job of allowing the coaches and the players to feel like they could just do their jobs and not worry about, and the trainers and the doc, and not worry about all that stuff. But, you know, it is funny. I mean, all of a sudden you got like two or three team doctors with you on the road, you know, whereas like you didn't have one at all, like half your trips all year, you know? So from that standpoint, you know, it, it, it gets done. And the public practices for those who haven't been to the final four, you know, all four teams practice for about an hour with an arena full of people. When do you actually do the prep that, prepares the team to play. Yeah. So I'll tell you an interesting thing. Um, in 1998, the year that the university of Utah went to the final four, I was a senior in college. Two years later, I ended up becoming less than two years later. I was a graduate assistant at Utah with coach Majerus, but I went uh, to the final four in San Antonio. I wanted, I knew I wanted to get into college coaching. I needed to meet some more college coaches. I was a high school coach at the time while finishing my degree at UC Santa Barbara. And I went to the open practices to watch. I was really interested. I loved, I had an affinity for Utah. Andre Miller and I were on the same team, team and camp at a camp in San Diego. You, you, Brad, you probably remember the San Diego, whatever it's called, all-star camp. Bill Walton used to run it or whatever. One of those oh, yeah. big camps in San Diego. And, and so I like, I followed Andre's career. And so I'm at the final four and it's Utah, it's Stanford, it's North Carolina and, um, and Kentucky. Right. And so I go to all four practices and three of them were just like, you know, they were okay. I mean, I think if I remember correctly, I felt like Kentucky and Carolina was like just a dunk contest. And, you know, and I was like, man, they don't, these, you know, and I'm singing as a young coach and these guys, they just got these great plays. They don't coach me because Utah comes out and it was like, you know, ball and their feet are already and they're cutting hard and they're moving and the drills are unbelievable. Well, fast forward to 06, 07, 08, what I find out is that's just the way Coach Majerus's teams did things. They didn't have a choice. They were so used to doing things that way. But at UCLA, our, our deals, it was like a bunch of dunk contests too. Russell Westbrook's trying his best left-handed dunk and Kevin Love's trying to do stuff that he would never do in a game and stuff like that. And I'm just like, you know, I, I thought back to myself and I'm like, you know, people must be up in the crowd like me going it, that are coaches going, I'm getting nothing out of this. But what they don't understand is we already practiced for an hour and a half at a high school gym a few miles down the road before coming over to that, where we had our walkthrough and our practice and our good shooting and all that stuff. And the only purpose really of the public practice was number one, it was mandatory so that the fans could see you. And number two, it was just to get everybody used to the building because you don't get to practice in the building unless you make the championship game. If you win, then the day in between you get to practice there. Now, I'm not sure, and I'll have to check, I think maybe in the last couple of years they may have changed that and allowed teams to come in and practice in the building, but I'm not sure. But I can tell you this, for the most part, it's been that way forever, that the only teams, and that was really cool, actually, uh, in 06, when we made the national championship game and we're getting ready to play Florida. And on Sunday, today, we went to practice. And we went to practice at the Dome in Indianapolis, where they're at this year, um, and we were the only people in the, in the building, this huge football stadium with this little court in there. And, um, and knowing that we were one of only two teams in college basketball at any level practicing that day uh, was, pretty, was pretty awesome. It was pretty miraculous. But that's the only time we had a true practice on that court. 
How much does shooting in a football arena affect your jump shot? It does. I, I think that the, 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 the distance behind the hoop, it makes a difference. I mean, you know, it, the best shooting gyms are the ones that have, you know, the, you guys know that's the same background on both sides. They're a little bit tighter in, you know, I mean, you can see our, our arena behind me, Levy Center at Santa Clara is a great shooting gym because, you know, things aren't too far away in the backgrounds you know, pretty similar. And so I, it makes a difference. I mean, it makes a difference. I, I think that, um, you know, it's always, I, I'll tell you what, it's amazing that the way UCLA and Gonzaga shot the ball last night in terms of their percentage or field goal percentages were very, very high. Cause I think if you look back, you know, certainly at least early on, a lot of the field goal shooting percentages are, are oftentimes, uh, you know, poor, at least with one team, you know, if they're not getting layups, if they're getting jump shots, it's, it's hard to make jump shots. And even Gonzaga, they struggled from three yesterday in the second half. I mean, Corey Kispert never misses. I'm just telling the guy shoots over 50% from three and we all know that he's the best shooter on the floor and he still shoots over 50% from three, but he struggled from three yesterday. And that has to do, I, I really believe that has to do with the change of venue and that, that big dome. That makes a lot of sense. Any particularly vivid memories other than the police escort about your trips to the final four at UCLA? You did have three of them. Well, I'll tell you my first one. Um, I, I remember this. And so I don't drink coffee. If I drank coffee, I think I'd get arrested for having too much energy or something. So I we're in, we're playing LSU. We beat the heck out of him, man. We, we had big baby was exhausted. Ryan Holland's job all game long was to run as hard as you can and keep him from, uh, you know, keep, keep him from, uh, from, from uh, you know, getting enough oxygen all game long. I mean, he was dying. He actually called timeout himself. I'll never forget. He called timeout. Uh, the, the coaches weren't calling timeout. Big Baby was so tired. We scored, and he turned to the ref and just called timeout himself. He was so tired and gassed and needed a break. And um, so we win that game, and Florida has beaten, I think it was, I think that year was George Mason. So, and – we get back to the hotel and it is time to get ready for Florida. And like, I have to get dialed in and I was really dialed into the LSU scout. And so I, I, you know, coach needed me to, you know, get caught up. And I was up all night long cutting film. And finally it's like four in the morning and, 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 you know, you have all this energy and anticipation for the final four game. We've sat there and watched the Florida game as well in person to scout had our game. I mean, it's not like I got, a, I've been getting a lot of sleep and I stayed up with one of our other assistants literally all night. We never slept. So three in the morning, four in the morning, I at, you know, and there's always people from the hotel coming in. Can I get you anything, sir? Can I get you anything? Finally, I'm like, yeah, I need a pot of coffee and make sure it's got a lot of caffeine, <laughs> like not the decaf. And so I drink, I drank like an entire pot of coffee myself. And I was so wired. It was insane. And I felt like, I don't know what, I mean, I, I was on some crazy caffeine high, um, which got me all the way through till about four o'clock in the afternoon after we finished our practice and preparation over at the dome. And I finally, I just remember I hadn't slept. I don't know how long it'd been damn close to 40 hours. And so I finally just went up and I crashed for about two, three hours in my room. I just needed to take a break. I knew what time I set an alarm. And I, I just remember, but the, the, the exhilaration and the energy that, to get things done and be prepared, it was just unbelievable. And I mean, it's, it's such, there's so many things. I mean, there, there, there's so many different aspects to it. Being out there for the national anthem at the championship game. I mean, with all that, that huge stadium being full, 
uh, at least the part that they that they've courted off for the for the basketball game. I mean, it's just a feeling that I can't even explain. And uh, you know, like I said, being the only teams practicing on that Sunday, uh, I'll, I'll never forget that. I mean, I had to like pinch myself, like what, you know, this is unbelievable. You know, I can't believe we're here. And um, I'll tell you one more too. That's pretty funny. Wes Long is a strength and conditioning coach for UCLA right now. His first year at UCLA, he's had two stints there. His first year was in 2007-8. So this was our third run to the Final Four. This was the year we had Russell Westbrook uh, and Darren Collison as our starting backcourt, and Kevin Love was a freshman, and uh, Luke Mbamute, of course, who started on all three of our Final Four teams, I'm sure. Um, so anyways, uh, in 2008, uh, Wes Long, 2007-8, Wes Long, our strength and conditioning coach, who's still there now at UCLA. This was his first in at UCLA and he joined us. And this was our third run, third straight year going to the final four with Kevin Love, Russell Westbrook, Darren Collison, Luca Bamute, you know, great, great team. And, uh, and so sure enough, uh, we are playing, who are we playing? I think this was the year we're playing Sean Miller's uh, team at um, prior to, prior to when he was coming to Arizona at, um, oh boy, I just blanked. Where the heck was Sean Miller at? Um, Xavier. Xavier, thank you. So we're playing Xavier in the Elite Eight to get to the Final Four. So we win the game. Now, understand, like myself and Donnie Daniels, we'd been on the staff this whole time. Um, you know, our athletic trainer was the same athletic tra- Like, we're, we're used to this. So we're like, you know, we're happy. Coach Howland, I mean, you know, we're, we're like, we're happy. But we were supposed to get there, right? Like, this was year three in a row. Like, it's like, dude, can we just win this thing this time and not, you know, go to the Final Four and not come home with the trophy? So we're happy, but we're not like, you know, we're up on this dais, everybody cuts down the nets and we get our award and we walk in the locker room and instead of like jumping around, like everybody just kind of sits down. The only players on the team that hadn't been a part of a final four were Kevin Love and Chase Standback. That was it. They were the only ones that hadn't been a part of the team. They were both freshmen. So coach kind of sits down. And I just remember him kind of, you know, just going through, Hey, as most of you guys know, you know, here's what we're going to do. You know, we'll find out on Sunday who we're playing. We'll be a one seed in the West. This is going to go through this, this city, this city, and this, I mean, excuse me, we're, we're the one seed in the West. So we're going to be the one seed in this tournament, whatever. And we're going to play Memphis and you know, whatever, but this is the day we're going to leave. And this is what we're going to do when we're there. And, you know, let's get showered up and let's get out of here as soon as we can, you know, and I'm playing. Whereas two years ago, in 06, when we did this, I mean, the locker room was insane when we won the Elite Eight game against Memphis. I mean, seriously, like, I, it took Coach Allen forever to get started talking with the team because we just were like, it was a party in there, man. The music was going and everything. And so I'll never forget Wes walking up to me, and I texted him about this last week because they made the Final Four again. I said, man, I hope you get to enjoy this one because he walked up to me and he goes, Hey, thanks for blowing my first chance to be in a final four. Where the heck's the celebration guys? I mean, geez Louise. And that's just, you know what, not only that's UCLA for you, but that's also that time, you know, where you go that many times in a row. And I just cannot imagine being a part of coach Wooden's run where you win 10 and 12 years. And the, I mean, you know, it's just what you do. And when that, I think when that, it actually was a lesson to me when I became a head coach, when it becomes kind of um, just methodical and, you know, just what we do is get to a final four. Like, I I think that takes some of the joy out of it. And so like one thing I did as a head coach and all of our former players, my former assistant, Colby Blaine, who's now the head coach of college of Idaho, he's continued this tradition. We literally celebrated every single win. I don't care if we were playing 
Walla Walla University, who we were supposed to beat by 40, and we didn't play well and beat them by 15, we celebrated. And then we talked about, you know, whatever we need to talk about. I thought that was very, very important as a head coach. When we got to the final four at the College of Idaho and the NAI uh, uh, final four, I mean, the celebration was on, man. And we enjoyed the heck out of every bit of that trip. And uh, I think that was one thing I, I was disappointed in 08. That was a hard, hard thing to swallow. Looking back now, I didn't think about it at the time. It was, man, we should have celebrated that a little bit more and enjoyed it in the moment, in the moment. We certainly do after the fact. That makes a great deal of sense. And I did want to connect with you about your time at College of Idaho, because I think you're being incredibly modest. You had some amazing tournament runs, and it seems like you were able to use the model that you developed at Utah and at UCLA and applied that to your time at College of Idaho. Although with the NAIA tournament, every game was in the same city. Did that affect your prep? Well, I'll tell you, it was interesting because, um, you, you, you just go back to back days. You get used to that at that level too. It's interesting. Like all of our conference games, we play Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, there's no day in between. So you learn to <laughs> figure out what's important. And um, there's only so much, and you better have your team prepared every day in practice for like, what is, what are you about? What are your principles? You know, I think, I think I really learned that because you just don't have enough time to make a million adjustments for another game. Now you get to the NAI national tournament and there's a chance, depending on if you're playing on Wednesday or on Thursday in the first round, the first round's Wednesday and Thursday, but then the second round's Friday. So if you played Wednesday, you get a day off if you win, but if you play Thursday, then you play again on Friday. And then if you win that, you play again on Saturday and then Sunday's off. And then you got Monday and Tuesday's the championship. And so it's, uh, I mean, I, I'll tell you what, I, like from a teaching standpoint, I got so much from Coach Majerus. The way, I mean, I, there's not a day that goes by I don't think about him. The way I teach the game, um, the, 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 his, his use of basketball language was the best of all time. I mean, our, 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 you know, the way we named things and the way we talked about things, I mean, it just all made sense. But Coach Howland, on the other hand, simplified the game for me tremendously. And I think that really helped me at College of Idaho because with Coach Majerus, we had 11 different ways to guard the pick and roll. And I could go through each one of those with you right now. And you'd be blown away. Like, really? Like, you're going to blitz a ball screen for two dribbles versus blitzing it for three dribbles? You're going to – I mean, like – and then, you know, and, 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 and you're going to – you know, all the different rotations, and it was amazing. Whereas Coach Allen, you know, we played the ball screen one way – I could argue we played it two ways on during our entire final four. Run. We, we were going to hard hedge. We called it a hard hedge, a blitz, every ball screen. When we played LSU in the final four, we decided to trap the wing ball screens for the first time. We trapped the hell out of it. The only other thing we did was we switched them from time to time, like late game, late clock. That was it. And so it was simplified. So no matter who we were playing, our team, we could give the team no scouting report. We knew what we were supposed to do. And then our team could adjust easily. And so I think that helped me a lot at the College of Idaho. Our team knew who we were. We didn't spend as much time probably taking a, a book out of a little bit out of Coach Wooden's book. We didn't spend so much time worrying about our opponent as much as ourselves. What are we going to do? And we have to do it well. Coach Howland would call a timeout when we're not we're getting hurt on a ball screen or we're getting hurt on a screening action or, you know, where we, we were going to trail every screen and we were going to extend it. And if you wanted to slip on us, our ball pressure had to take that away. Well, 
if we didn't do that well, the timeout, the talk in the timeout wasn't, hey, we need to shorten our extensions. Or No, we need to do it better. We need better ball pressure. Or we're not extending that well. Or we're not trailing that well. What did we do wrong? You know, they'll have to adjust to us. And I think that really helped me a lot. There's always subtle adjustments, of course. I'm not taking away the fine adjustments that are made, you know, and certain certain guys, maybe we didn't trail or whatever. But Coach Howland really, really helped me in that area. And get, you know, and that helped us, I thought, in our final four runs. Because having, you know, the Pac-12 helped us the way the setup was back then, you know, unlike today where they got some games on different days, Pac-12 was Thursday, Saturday, Thursday, Saturday. Well, final four was one day in between, whereas teams coming from the ACC or the SEC or the Big 12, they weren't used to that. They were playing on Tuesdays and then on Saturdays and then the next Wednesday. They always had two days in between to prepare. And so um, so I think those are that that was a really a, a, a big aspect that helped me a lot as a head coach. Um, and helped our teams, you know, be successful in the postseason. And speaking of experience in the Final Four, you mentioned before we started recording that when you got to Utah, there was a core of players who competed in the national championship game. And you said you learned a lot from their approach. What was their takeaway from the time that they spent playing in the national championship game? Yeah, so one of those guys is Alex Jensen. Alex is the head assistant with the Utah Jazz right now. And he will will be uh, as soon as somebody's smart enough to uh, figure it out he'll be running a running a team as a head coach uh, in the NBA real soon and uh, he was our he was our senior leader um, he and I were the same age he's he was a he had, had a, uh, gone on a, a Mormon church mission um, and so uh, I was a grad assistant and uh, he and I are still very close to this day but like him and like Hanel Metala like they didn't like younger guys that were coming in or whatever like they didn't wait for coach Majerus to tell those guys to go harder or to tell those guys to talk, you know, in practice or, or to, to run the floor or to be in the right position defensively. Those guys told them. like they were leaders. They were winners. Like they understood what winning looked like. And I'll just, I mean, that's where the teams, the best teams I've been a part of, that's what happens. I didn't probably, I was blown away by it then but I don't think I had enough appreciation for it because I hadn't been around long enough. I hadn't seen enough different teams. I had an appreciation from the time that I played and all that stuff. But like, I knew they were great leaders, but man, when I think back to that now, like Al didn't let anybody get away with anything. So like when, when, when practice is over and the players go to the locker room and the coaches go off on their own deal or whatever, or have a staff meeting and players are in the locker room bitching about whatever the coach, pardon my language, whatever the coaches were saying, uh, to him in practice and this and that, you knew as a coach that Alan Hanna were putting a, a kibosh on that. Like, no, you don't understand. Like, yeah, coach was right. Like you weren't in a stance there. You didn't talk the ball screen. You know, that's why you got beat on that cut. You know, you did fall asleep on the weak side. You didn't run the floor hard. You didn't call for the ball inside. And that's why we didn't throw it to you in the post. He was right. Maybe you didn't like the way he said it to you. And that was coach Majerus but he was right. And so what he's telling you is next time you're posting up and you want the ball, you better get your butt down low, get your arm bars up and you better demand the ball from the guards. Cause I'm not throwing you the ball if you don't do that. And so when you're getting that from your players to the other players, that's, that's why that, that's why those guys were winners. That's why they went to a final four. That's why they played. That's why they were winning against Kentucky with four and a half minutes to go in the national championship game where, and Kentucky had, you know, in terms of, Talent level. I mean, the talent level outside Andre Miller was extraordinarily higher for Kentucky. 
And uh, so I, I just, I mean, I'll never forget that. And that's, you know, we're really hopeful here at Santa Clara that we kind of have built that culture for next year. I mean, I think that's why we have a chance to be really good. We would have been really good this year if it wasn't for all of our COVID stoppages, but like for next year, like that's exciting. I, I'm actually starting to see that for the first time. My best teams at College of Idaho, we had that. We had a guy named Joey Nebaker who was unbelievable that way as a leader. And when they're your best players, it's really, really good. You know, that, that's, where, that's where you're really special. And that happened to Aaron Aflalo was an amazing leader at UCLA. He demanded the best out of the other players. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that, that, those are my big takeaways. I know I, I went on a little bit long-winded there, but, I mean, it, it's just fun to think about that stuff. And it's, it's no surprise that, you know, Al and Hano are still doing great things as coaches right now. Hano's back in his, you know, in his home country, and Al's doing incredible things in the NBA. And speaking of fun, Brad, I know you had to ask for a Majura story. Is that correct? I don't think you can talk to someone that's ever worked at Utah and not get some sort of Majura story, whether it has to do with his incredible appetite or just his amazing knowledge and stories that that he would tell just from his time with you know Al McGuire. I mean, he's he's got an interesting run up to his career as he does an actual career. If you look for the, you know, working with Al McGuire and coming from Wisconsin, I think there's a plethora, plethora of uh, things that Scott can tell us that he can yeah, uh, dazzle us with. There's a lot of them that I can't tell you here because they would not be okay for radio yes. or TV yes. or whatever. But um, <laughs> yes. there are certainly PG, nice, PG Scott. There's PG some certainly Scott. nice PG friendly ones. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm going to think of what the best one would be, but like I learned a lot from Coach Pajaris outside of just coaching basketball. And I tell everybody I got my master's at Utah, but I got my PhD in coaching. And I was with him for five years and moved my way up from graduate assistant. I was doing a lot of the managerial work as well. Uh, then I was the video coordinator, and then I was an assistant coach my last year. So I saw a lot of different roles. And, and um, you know, one thing that, I mean, people still laugh about is there was an article even in the paper, I think in the, like in the LA Times or something about it like years later, but, you know, profiling Coach Majerus and, um, you know, people used to, <laughs> he was he was always on his, believe it or not. So Coach Majerus, people don't understand, he was an avid, he was an exercise freak. He just out ate his exercise. That's how much this man ate. Like, if, I mean, it was incredible, his appetite. It was mind blowing. You know, like you could literally, like you're in, what's, you know, you're, you're out there, you know, wherever and in, 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 out near Myrtle Beach right now. If, you, if, you, if Coach Majerus was here right now on this podcast and Brad, you said, you know, I'm, I'm out near Myrtle Beach right now. He would tell you right now, oh, go to Joe's uh, Crab, whatever, you know, and, 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 and make sure you ask for, um, you know, ask for Jennifer, that's Joe's wife. They'll tell you they're going to get you the best. They've got the best dessert you've ever tasted. It's a mud pie. That da, 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 da. And he would tell you. And you'd be like, what? I mean, he could literally go through that in any city in the country. You could be in the most obscure places. He knew where the best spot was to eat. He knew exactly who the people were that worked there. I mean, all by memory. It was incredible. And so, I mean, between basketball and food, it was like, you know, literally the man was a savant. And so, but every day, he would exercise and he'd be on his, his uh, treadmill all the time. He'd be walking on his treadmill and sweating. And I'd come up to his hotel room and we, I'd write up practice with him all the time. And uh, the coaches would be lucky, you know, when I was a grad assistant, a video coordinator, if I could get down and get that thing copied in time for them to see it. Cause the coaches would come into practice blind. They would have no idea what's coming and they just get better be ready to go and coach. And, um, 
And so, but coaches had a bad knee and his, and his uh, doctor refused to operate on his knee until he lost some weight. He, was, he did not want to operate on his knee at the time. So he needed to start swimming. So now we had to get the swimming available. And so we had the pool there at the University of Utah and uh, the new academic center at the time, which is still there now, overlooked the pool. And so day in and day out, and, and there's windows there and everything and, and the pool, you know, the pool area is windows and everything. So every day, day in and day out, Coach Majerus, I would go over there. He'd meet me at the pool. You know, I'd get it opened up for him. He'd start swimming and I'd have a pad of paper and a pen with me. And he's swimming laps. And you can just picture this because he's a big guy <laughs> swimming laps back and forth. And he was a good swimmer. And every once in a while, he'd stop. And when he'd pop up, I'd have to hustle over there wherever he was. I'm like following him down the lanes. And he's like, okay, Scott, we're going to start, you know, with five minutes of, 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 uh, breakdown, you know, with, uh, you know, shot fakes with the guards and, and the bigs are going to do uh, Mikeins and the Kales. Okay. And then we're going to go from there. We're going to do 10 minutes skill bigs and guards. Okay. Hold on. I'm going to do a couple more laps. Boom. And he'd go and he'd be going up and down, up and down, up and down. So eventually we'd get through practice. He'd do, you know, four or five laps. He'd stop. He'd write practice. Then when practice was done, then I'd get the bagel order from Einstein's bagels down the road. So now it would be, you know, he wanted a pumpernickel bagel, pumpernickel bagel, uh, toasted, light butter, um, you know, and then find out what soups they got. So now I'm on the phone finding out what soups they have that day. The guy loves soup. So now I'm finding that out, right? So I'm doing all this stuff, right? He gets out of the pool. He's going to shower and dry off. Meanwhile, now I'm off and coach's car to down to the bagel place to get the stuff. What I didn't know is this became like an event. Every day, the people in academics would be like, oh, here he goes again, the swimming. Here come. And the assistant coaches would come over, and this would be like a break they would take. And they would laugh watching me walk up and down the pool with this big man <laughs> as he swims and he pops out and watching me run over and watching him. All of a sudden, he stops at the other end and calls me over, and I hustle over and I'm running over there to make sure. And it was just, I mean, that's just a little bit, a little smidgen of what our daily life was like. And, um, he never, came in the office. he never came in the office in five years. I would say that he walked into our offices five times. His office, where Larry Kristoviak's been, and now, you know, Craig Smith is going to occupy, that office was a storage room. We literally stored gear and boxes in there. We had all of our meetings took place either pre or post-practice in, in the squad room, in the coach's room downstairs, or they took place, if not at coach's hotel, it took place at a restaurant. So we'd be going over scouting reports while we ate and coach was ordering food. And I mean, it was unbelievable. We're going through all the scouting reports to get prepared for the New Mexico game, get prepared, you know, for the Utah state game, whatever it was. And we're going through all those scouting reports over, you know, over lasagna or he had a one place in town where he got them. He got his mother's recipe for her chili and he got the chef to make it perfectly. He'd go in there and taste it every day until she got it down. Right. And once she got it down, that was where he was going every like Tuesday or something like that. He was going to make, you know, Alice Majerus's chili. And so he would go there, we'd go there, we'd meet there and we'd go over scouting report stuff and go over practice. So it was just very unique experience, a very unique man. Um, and, um, you know, I miss him every day because uh, I, but I don't miss that stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't miss the, uh, the grind of work for him, but I miss him personally. Basketball misses him. And uh, Porter Moser and I texted actually this morning. He just took the Oklahoma job. And uh, we were just, I was just texting him what amazing run it's been at Loyola, how great it was. And he and I were just texting back and forth. And one of the things he said, he said in his words, that 
the big man's the big man's fingers were all over what we did at Loyola. And it's so true. I mean, um, you know, he, he just was so, so good. And, you know, Porter's Porter's the number one right now, uh, I guess, example of, of uh, kind of carrying on Coach Majerus's uh, legacy in, in the way in which he's running his programs. And that would be the perfect place to say thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being so gracious. Uh, you're on vacation with your family and you carved out time uh, to talk to us. You may have heard Scott's kids in the background, and we encourage that. Uh, spend time with your family. Uh, Brad, I think you quoted, quoted Bruce Arians, who said, if you can't figure out how to spend time with your kids, I should fire you because that's uh, what it's all about. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys very much. Sorry for a little bit of the noise in the background, but thank you guys. Um, it's a pleasure to be on with you, Steve, Brad. It's great to talk to both of you guys and uh, we should, we should stay in touch more often for sure. So. Thank you for tuning in to the LA court report podcast and LA court report production. 